had the unique opportunity to sit down with astronaut Marcus Pontus and uh, learn a little bit about him and learn a little bit about space. So uh, it's actually Colonel, right? Yes, Air Force Colonel. Uh, Air Force Colonel, and that, and that is in the Brazilian Air Force? Yes, in the Brazilian Air Force. I, I was just piloting in Air Force in Brazil. I had some chance to fly here in the U.S. as well. Are you still the only astronaut from the Southern Hemisphere? Yeah, the only professional astronaut. What year was that when you were uh, up in space? That was in 2006, so 10, 10 years ago. So you, so you uh, set another rocket, a countdown, how long before you're in zero gravity? Uh, it takes nine minutes, actually, to... Uh, it's uh, amazing when you think about this, because you're going to space. It takes just nine minutes from the time you start the engines to the time you are in space. You know, we read about space and we read about, you know, going 20,000 mi 20, miles an hour and everything. So does it feel like you're traveling that fast? Not necessarily when you're entering, but just when you're up in space. No, actually you don't feel much the, the, the speed. Although, think about this, this is the planet. We are going around the planet once every one hour and a half. So 90 minutes to do this. If the sun is there, you spend like 45 minutes on the day side of the planet, 45 minutes night side. The speed of the International Space Station is around 17.5 thousand miles per hour, so really fast. And, but you can, you can see the changes. You can see so many places on the planet, but you, you can't feel the speed because you don't have any acceleration. As you get into the, the atmosphere, you get more drag and of course you lose speed and the, the angle will do like this. Uh, so you, you're coming down. It, it takes about 26 minutes to cross from south of South America, the entire South America, Atlantic Ocean, north of Africa and land at the Kazakhstani desert in 26 minutes. So it's pretty fast. And, uh, and it's the most critical part of the flight, actually. And you, you, you are a passenger, right. pretty much. You either make just, it or you don't. Yeah, huh? you don't have wings. <laughs> you're just inside a small capsule, just waiting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, what, what, what? Now that you look back on it, you've had a decade to think about. What are a couple of things that um, you kind of brought back with you? Maybe changed your perspective or have uh, caused you to think a little different maybe. Yes, this is something that uh, if, if, you, if you meet somebody that went to space and tell you, oh, that didn't change for me, it's not saying or she is not saying the truth because at least the complete truth because uh, when you, you were there, somehow looking back the planet and seeing how small we are and uh, like, a, uh, like crew members of this big blue spacecraft here, you feel very small, uh, very insignificant. However, uh, we can make the difference, but using our minds, our ideas to pass through other generations and uh, uh, spread good things about, about life in, on this planet. So uh, uh, the message is uh, everything is possible. If you believe, really believe, you have a huge potential. <laughs> and so everything is possible. Uh, if you believe and you work day by day you know, towards your uh, dream. So this is one of my dreams. Who knows, maybe I can, I can, I can go to, to Mars or other places. You know, it's uh, something that since I was a little boy, I used to, to, to see there and imagine oh, how far can I go on <laughs> this. And uh, this is the opportunity and uh, we have to, to, to keep those dreams. Well, it's been a huge honor to have Marcus Pontus, the 
astronaut, the colonel, the professor, uh, a true, true uh, honor. Thank you so much for being here and uh, we enjoyed the conversation. Now, you got to see some of it. If you want to see all of it, I encourage you to go to potentialchurch.com. Uh, we got to talk about all kinds of things and uh, I hope you'll check it out. But once again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being here. It is uh, an honor to have astronaut Marcus Pontus with us this weekend. He is a colonel in the Brazilian Air Force, is that right, Air Force? And then, of course, he is a professor as well. Right after the service, he's going to be out in the lobby, uh, take a picture, maybe answer a question, shake your hand. Uh, as we remember what happened on 9-11, it is uh, a true honor to have a a living hero with us, someone who has seen the world from a totally different perspective. And for me, it was really, really cool to get to spend some time with an astronaut. So uh, I want to, if I could, uh, pray for Marcus, if you'd bow your head. Father, I thank you for Marcus. I thank you for what he is doing um, to inspire, to encourage, and to challenge the next generation. I pray that you continue to give him wisdom and health. I pray that you'd give him the words to, to say as he shares what he saw from such a, an incredible perspective there in space. And uh, keep him healthy, and if he goes to Mars, keep him safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you let astronaut Marcus know how much you appreciate what he has done? Awesome. Yes. It is an honor, and we'll see you after the service in the lobby, all right? God bless. Yes. It is exciting to have an astronaut. You know, I, uh, I want to just mention a couple of things before we get started. One is, starting this week, 7.30 Eastern and 6.30 Central. I say that because, of course, we have campuses on the Central Time Zone. On Wednesday night, we're going to start not a service but a Bible study. We probably do a couple of songs, but we're going to walk through the book of Romans. We chose Romans because there's some weight to the book of Romans. It talks about are we predetermined or do we have choice. It talks about human sexuality and what God thinks about it. It talks about so much of what we believe and why we believe it. And uh, so I hope you'll show up at 730 on Wednesday um, to just uh, a little bit by little bit walk through the book of Romans. The other thing I want to ask of you, if you're here, as I mentioned earlier, and you're a guest, we're humbled always that you would hang out with us. And I hope, and what we have prepared for every weekend, is that you would be encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Now, if you call Potential Church your home, you hang out here from time to time, I do want to challenge you. And here's what I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge you, at the Cooper City campus, we do five services. We do 5.05 on Saturday. We do 9.05 on Sunday. We do 10.45, that's this one. We do 12.35, and then on Sunday night we do 5.05. They are all the same service. And it would be a tremendous benefit if you would move to Saturday night at 5.05, Sunday night at 5.05, or Sunday morning at 9.05, because we have parking spots at that time. It grieves my heart that the team worked so hard, even though the helmet fell off the astronaut as it went to space, all right, that they worked so hard. And some of you missed that. 
Some of you missed our remembrance of 9-11. And I, 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 that, that hurts uh, me for you to miss that because of <clears throat> the traffic and the parking lot. We do five services because that allows us, rather than building a building that costs $25 million, it allows us to spend those resources on helping people. That's our heart's desire. It takes a ton of volunteers to do five services, and it is an incredible amount of energy that's expended by the, the small staff team that we have here. But we do that so that there's room. I want to ask you that if you call this place your home to do your part, and that's to be a part of Saturday night or Sunday night or even the 905 on Sunday morning so that there are spaces for those who have never got to hear the good news or the hope and that they can get in here and see the cool things that the team works so hard on. So, so think about that, uh, if you would. It would be a huge help if you would commit to that. Now, I, uh, uh, as we go into this series, you know, we got some models here. I, I don't know how familiar you are. Over the next several weeks, we're going to kind of have some fun with the Apollo missions because that's when we went to the moon. Now, it's so long ago, and it's been a while since we've went to the moon. Um, uh, astronaut Marcus went to the, the uh, space station. He was there for 10 days. He trained as an American astronaut to go on the space shuttle, but then, um, you know, they shut that down. And so he actually went with the Russian space agency. Um, they take all of the American astronauts now up to the space station. But this is a Saturn V rocket. It's the one that took the Apollo astronauts to the moon. It's the largest rocket, even in 2016, that's ever been built. It's the most powerful rocket that has ever been, uh, ever been built. And it weighed about uh, 1.6 million pounds. It's 363 feet high, or 36 stories high. This is a scale to model. It's 172nd as big as the real one. And this, all right is the part that the astronauts were in. If you look, it's to scale as well. In other words, the astronauts were in this part right here, and the rest of it is fuel to get to the moon, which is 250,000 miles away. Now, here's the way that would happen. The countdown, 10, 9, you know, 8, 7, 3, 2, 1, it blasts off into space. And as it expends its fuel, parts of the rocket drop off until when it gets to space, there is this right here, okay? And there is this last piece right here. Inside this is this. This is what they're going to go down to the moon's surface with. So what would happen is once they got into space, this would come free of this, and then they would dock together. And it would look like this, and they would go to the moon. Okay? And once they got to the moon, the, there's three astronauts in this. Two of them would get into what's called the limb. We're going to talk about Apollo 13. This part was called... Um, Odyssey, this part was called Aquarius, okay? Two astronauts would get inside the LEM and it would undock and it would go down to the moon. While it was at the moon, this part would circle around in orbit the moon until the two or three days were up. Then just the top part of this would come up. They would reconnect. The two astronauts would go from the LEM um, into the command module and then normally, 
they would jettison it, kind of slam it into the moon so that they could uh, read the different kinds of vi uh, different kinds of vibration. Now, Apollo 13 uh, got about 200,000 miles away, and there was a explosion. And instead of going to the moon as they were supposed to, as far as landing on the moon, they didn't. They went to the moon, used the gravity of the moon as a slingshot to get them back home. Because the command module died after this explosion, and the astronauts of Apollo 13 then had to climb into the LEM. And they used the LEM basically as a lifeboat. It had oxygen, only for, uh, supposedly for two people, now there were three in there. And they went around the moon like this and came all the way back around to planet Earth. Now, when they got just outside the Earth's atmosphere, this is not to scale. This is the very top part of this right here, okay? This little rocket here was when it was setting on the, 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 the pad. If there was a problem, it would take this away and then parachute down, okay? Once they got to space, this was gone. But when they get ready to go into the Earth's atmosphere, they're in the command module. Now the angle in which they enter the atmosphere is so important because if they come in too shallow, they're going to bounce off. They can't control this. They can't drive this. Once it bound, If it comes in too shallow, instead of, you know, like this, it kind of comes in like this, it can bounce off the atmosphere and end up in its own orbit in space, circling around the Earth. When it got back to the Earth, it would take forever and all the astronauts would be dead and the oxygen would be gone. If it comes in too, uh, too steep, then it burns up. Too much friction, too much heat. That's what happened to the Columbia, you may remember, when it burnt up over the state of Texas. I've got a picture here I want to show you real quickly. You can see the angle, the entry corridor. It's, not, it's just a few degrees. Too shallow and it's destroyed. Too steep and it's destroyed. And as I was kind of reading about this, it's what made me think actually about this series. Because Jesus said something very similar to that graphic when it comes to our entry into eternity. Let's look at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through what kind of gate? Yeah, narrow entryway, just like the command module. The highway to hell is broad. Now, you could say, the, you know what the word hell means? It means destruction. So Jesus is saying the very same thing that NASA would tell its astronauts. That the highway to destruction is broad. You can come in too shallow or you can come in too steep. Either way, you're destroyed. There's just a narrow angle in which you will survive. The way of destruction is wide. And there are a lot that choose that way, Jesus says. But the gateway to life is very narrow. The road is difficult. I love the Bible. It's just straight up. And only a few people find it. Not, and here's the part that kind of breaks your heart. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, there are going to be people who believe there's a God, and yet they end up in destruction instead of eternal life with Christ. <clears throat> he says, only those who do the will of the Father will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, get this. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But Jesus says, here's what I'm going to say. I didn't know you. I, I didn't know you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Now, this is important. 
And it's important for you and I to understand that this means that it's not just do the best that you can and it'll all work out in the end. And that is the most, uh, that is the majority myth that people believe. Most people are able to sleep at night. They're not worried about what happens when their heart stops and all of ours will eventually because they believe they're good people. They love their spouse. They're a good son or daughter. They uh, are better than people they know. And, and in the end, God understands the sincerity of their heart. And in the end, everything's going to work out. Jesus says here, Jesus says, that's not true. He says there's going to be a lot of people that believe there's a God, a lot of people that hang out at the church, a lot of people that feed the poor and help the hungry. Let me say that in every way. Feed the hungry and help the poor. And uh, they're going to spend eternity separated from him. Because that narrow anger angle into the entry of eternity is in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Look what it says. It says, God saved you by his, underline that, grace. What is grace? In other words, he's, it's not something I earned. It's not something you deserve. It's not because you're a good person. It's not because you love your wife. It's not because you don't cheat in college. It's not because you attend church occasionally or all the time. It's not because you were dunked in some water. It's all his grace. Something we do not deserve, something we have not earned. We are saved. He saved you by his grace when you, what did you do? You believed. He says, you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward. It's not for the good things you do. You and I would just boast about it. Now, what does this word mean? If this is the angle of entry into eternity with Christ, I want to know what this word means. Because it's the part that I'm supposed to do. Well, the word believe, I'm going to give you an Arkansan pronunciation of a Greek word. All right? It's the Greek word pistuo. Some translations of the Bible translate it faith. That we are not, that it's, you know, God's grace, our faith. It's not just a mental assent. It's not just saying that I believe there's a God. That's not, can you guys put it back up? That's not what this word believe means. He is not saying God saves you when you believe that he exists. It's more than that. And the Bible gives us an illustration in the Old Testament so that we can better understand what this word believes. An illustration, or you might say it like this, a metaphor. There's a metaphor found in the Old Testament that shows us a picture or a type of Christ to help us better understand what this word believe means. Now, you may, you may have heard about this story. It's the story of Noah and his ship or his ark. Now, you may have heard of it, but let me read just a, a bit of it to you. It says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and it's full of violence. In other words, people were getting hurt and getting killed. God saw the corruption of earth and all the people on the earth were corrupted by their ways. So verse 13, God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. What's God saying? God's saying, I'm tired of the, my creation being hurt. I'm tired of seeing people uh, hurt and destroyed and murdered and killed and ill and all the things that have happened. He says, now, if you're righteous, I will salvage you. But if not, you will be destroyed. He says, I'm surely going to destroy both of them. 
and the earth. So he says, Noah, make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it. You might circle this word. We're going to talk about it in just a moment with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Make a roof, which is basically a window all the way around it. And then he says, put a door in the side of the ark, make it, and then make a lower, middle, and upper uh, deck. He says, I'm going to bring floodwaters upon the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Now, I have to tell you, I've never seen Noah's ship. I have heard that a business person built one according to the dimensions that are given in Genesis chapter 6, but I haven't seen that. What I want to talk about today is maybe a modern-day ark or a modern-day ship. Not one that travels upon the sea, but one that travels in space. All right? I believe that there are some things that we can learn from the story or the metaphor that's found in Genesis 6 by not only applying them to Noah's ship, but also applying them to um, Jim Lovell, who was the commander of Apollo 13, Fred Hayes, and Jack Swaggart. I, I think there's some truth that we can learn from them as well. Now, I told you about 200,000 miles from Earth, Apollo 13 had a catastrophic explosion. It happened in this part, all right? So if I were to show you on this one, it's this part right here. Not the capped command capsule, but this part right here. Here's a picture of it. It's a real picture, so it's not a great picture. When you think you're going to die, I don't guess you take good pictures. But this completely it, uh, exploded. The command module started to shut down. They started to lose oxygen. It was very scary it was horrific and a lot of people thought hopeless because they needed to be rescued it was catastrophic well that didn't only happen on Apollo 13 Genesis 6 tells us it happened in Noah's day as well in verse 11 it says now the earth was corrupt in God's sight full of violence God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people not some of the people all the people on the earth were corrupted. In other words, it was a catastrophic society. There was hurt and pain and violence and murder and uh, all the things um, that bring about uh, the very destruction of a society. But catastrophic not only describes Apollo 13, it not only describes what was happening in Genesis chapter 6, but I think it describes the society in which you and I live in. The things that we read on the news. It's exactly what Paul said in Romans. Look what he says. He says, as the scripture says, first of all, none of us are like Noah. None of us are righteous, not even one. No, no one's truly wise. No one's seeking God. We really are, we're all kind of doing our own thing. We've all become useless. No one does good, not a single one. And then he goes on to describe the catastrophic environment in which we live. He says, our talk is foul. It's like a stench from an open grave. Our tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from our very lips. Our mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. We rush to commit murder. We uh, commit destruction and misery are always around us. We, we don't know where to find peace. And we don't have any fear of God. And I think we could walk through each one of those. 
and talk about different segments of our society that are experiencing those very same things. So much like the Apollo 13 astronauts and much like Noah, you and I find ourselves in what could be a hopeless situation when it comes to eternity because none of us deserve eternal life. None of us deserve uh, what God has prepared for us according to John chapter 16. We need a rescue mission. We need a ship to be provided that can safely take us to where God created us to go. We need what Noah's society needed and we need what the Apollo astronauts needed. We need a rescue mission. Now I, I, I want to talk about the ship. The ship that was provided for the Apollo astronauts by NASA. I want to talk about the ship that God provided for Noah and the ship that God has provided for you and me. There are some things we need to know first of all. First of all we need to know that the ship is secure. That we are secure in the ship. Now in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 18 here's what it says. He says but I will establish my covenant. You might circle this word covenant, okay? It's important with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives and you. Now, the word covenant, what does that mean? Well, it's like a promise, but a lot more. It's like a contract, but it's a lot more. In other words, it's something that can't be broken. It's something that can't be violated. And so God comes to Noah and he says, Noah, once you get into the ark, once you get into the ship, you are secure. It doesn't matter how much it rains. It doesn't matter how high the waves are. It doesn't matter what is going on on the outside. You will be in the inside, and on the inside, you will find security. In other words, Noah was not on the outside of the ship hanging on in hopes he could make it until it stopped raining. He was in the ship. And the only way in which Noah would go down is if the ship went down. Now, when you think about the Apollo uh, astronauts, if there was an Apollo 13, you got to believe there was an Apollo 1, don't you? Now, it never went into space. But on a Friday afternoon, they got ready to have their dress rehearsal, you might say. It completely, a complete simulation that was real. They were in their suits. They had their helmets on. They were pressurized. They got in to the CSM, the command module. It was pressurized and it was given a mixture of 100% oxygen. These three astronauts, they were doing what you do when you go to space. And there was a spark. And in just a matter of seconds, that capsule fed by that oxygen just became thousands of degrees hot and it killed all three astronauts. Here's a newspaper article from it. Three Apollo astronauts die and space capsule flash fire. That's Apollo 1. Now, after that, of course, there was an investigation. And it took almost two years. It took 20 months for NASA to build from the ground up a capsule that was secure. A capsule that the, that the Apollo astronauts could trust in. That they knew it wasn't like the prior capsule. That all the things that they knew were broken were now fixed. They took the time and they took the money to make the capsule secure. Well, if the ship is a type or a metaphor for Christ, the New Testament reassures us of our security we have in Christ. Because I don't want a faith that I can't be secure in. 
I don't want to wake up each morning wondering whether or not if something were to happen to me where I would spend eternity. I don't want to go to bed at night hoping I did enough good to somehow make God happy. Here's what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. It says, remember, he has identified you as his own. How does that happen? How does he identify you as his own? Remember, we read it earlier in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For it is grace through faith that you and I are identified as his own. And he says, guaranteeing that you will be what? Well, what's this word? Help me out there in the balcony. What's this word? Saved. Yeah, that you will be saved on the day of redemption. In other words, God says, I'm going to guarantee it. And it's not based on what you do. The guarantee is not if you're good enough. No, no. The guarantee is that once you are identified, once you enter into that uh, command module, once you get in the ship, you're secure. You're not on the outside hanging on. Noah wasn't on the outside. He was on the inside. The Apollo astronauts weren't on the outside of the command module hoping they could hang on until it got to the earth. No. Noah was on the inside. The Apollo astronauts were on the inside. And you need to know that I am on the inside of Christ. I am not hanging on to him hoping that I can be faithful until the end. It's not built upon my faithfulness but upon his that will uh, see me enter into and you to eternal life. Not only are we secure in the ship, but we're also protected in the ship. Now, if the ship is a picture of Christ and the story of Noah, then what is the water? What is the rain? Well, what did God say it was? He said it was his wrath. He said it was his judgment. So, if the ship is a picture of Christ and the water is God's wrath, what keeps Noah secure? What keeps him safe? What keeps him protected? Well, it tells us in verse 14, he says, So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch, circle that, on the inside and the out. Now, this word pitch here, <clears throat> again, I'm going to give you an Arkansas pronunciation of a, of a Hebrew word. It's kapar. It's translated in other places in the Old Testament as the word atonement. It simply means this, covering. In other words, the judgment, the wrath of God couldn't get to Noah. Why? Because of the covering, the pitch, the atonement that was on the inside and the outside. It is what protected Noah from any judgment getting through. Well, when it comes to our modern ship, this is what every astronaut, a part of the Apollo program, rode down to planet Earth. Now, when they come in, it produces amazing amount of friction and heat. And the only reason they survive is because what's known as a heat shield was here on the bottom. Here's a picture of after the Apollo 13 landed. You can see how it's charred because of the amazing, incredible heat. We know that just a small part of this was torn away on the space shuttle Columbia and it allowed the heat. The heat shield failed and when it did, the whole ship burned up and those astronauts lost their life. The reason the fire, the heat can't get in is because of the shield. This shield is a protection. It is a kapar. It is a covering. It's an atonement, you might say, for the astronauts. It keeps the astronauts safe. Well, we know 
in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. In other words, there is God's wrath on all of us. How do we know that? Because we have all sinned. We have all missed the bullseye of perfection. Every single one of you, including me, including my family, including those on the front row and those all the way at the top in the balcony. We've all sinned. Therefore, God's wrath, God's anger, you could say God's fire or God's water is upon us. So we, too, need a covering. We need an atonement. And that's exactly what Hebrews chapter 7 says God provides. For this reason, he, he being Christ, had to be made like them, had to be fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. What did he do as a high priest? That he might make, what's the word? Well, what is it? You guys are just quiet type of people. You must have been in the last reading group in school. Atonement for the sins of the people. It, who's the covering for it's for us, isn't it? Right? It's for those of us who have missed the, bull, the mark, the bullseye of sin. We, we have missed it, and so as a result, we need a covering. And God says that what I did through Christ is provide that. Well, what, what is it? What is the covering that you and I so badly need and that God has provided for our life? Well, Peter tells us what it is. He says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you, Troy, to save you guys from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver because those things just lose their value. No, no, it was the precious what? Blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. In other words, Jesus went to the cross, and when he went through the cross, the crown of thorns, the nails in his hands and his feet, the Bible says that from those came his blood, and it is his blood that covers me. So that when God looks at me, I do not receive his anger, not because of my goodness, but because of my atonement, because of my covering, which cost Jesus his life. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. So just like the Apollo astronauts and just like Noah, you and I, if we believe, have a covering. We have a, a protection from God's wrath because Jesus received that. So then what do you, how do you believe, right? I mean, that's the real question. I want this covering. I want to be in the ship. So what's the way into the ship? Well, again, if you look at the big boat that Noah was in, in Genesis chapter 6, it, God said, put a door. <laughs> put a door in, Noah. There was one door in Noah's ship, and that door is how Noah and his family had to get into that boat. But see, this is what belief is. Belief is not believe, just believing that the boat will salvage you. Noah and his boys could have stood out and said, man, we did it, didn't we, Dad? That's a great boat. Best boat I ever did see. I think that boat could protect us from anything. But if they didn't get in the boat, what would happen when the world flooded? They'd die. They had to get in the boat. Same thing's true for the Apollo astronauts. See, when the Apollo astronauts came back, unlike any of the other Apollo flights, they came back like this because they were in the limb. Normally, they would already be in the command module, but they were in the limb because the limb is where the oxygen was. The limb is where the protection was. And to go from the limb into the command module, well, first of all, let me show you the picture of the door. Okay, that's the door. It's the only way into the command module when it's on planet Earth. 
But I want to show you the tunnel that connected these two. Let me show you that. That's how those astronauts would get from the LEM into the command module. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. When Noah got onto the boat, he had to get into the boat even though it hadn't rained. But he believed that it would. He had to get into the boat not knowing that the boat would protect him from the rain that hadn't fallen yet. All he had is what God said. See, that's what the word pistuo means. Doesn't mean just believing that this boat could save me. It means leaving that in which I know and trusting God. Walking up the ramp and getting into the boat. Same thing happened for these guys. They had to go from what they knew to what they trusted. They had reason to believe, but it was still an act of faith. Marcus was telling me, our astronaut that is honoring us by being here today, was telling me when he left the space station to get in to the Russian command module, he had that same feeling of leaving the security that had kept him alive for 10 days to get into something that they couldn't control. Can't fly this. But had they never got in this, they would have never made it to planet Earth. That's what pastuo means. See, there are some of us that were in the limb and we're struggling about whether or not to get into the command module. We believe that it exists, maybe. We believe there is a God. We believe there may be reasons to believe that there is a God. But we haven't got into Christ. Because remember, the ark is a type of Christ. And there comes that moment when you have to choose whether or not you're going to stay where you're at or you're going to go through the door. John chapter 10 says, Jesus speaking, I am that door. If anyone enters through me, he will be what? Saved. Jesus says, I'm that door. But you can't just believe that I'm that door. The faith, the belief, the pastuo means that you act upon what you say you believe. And until you act upon it, until you trust him, making him the master, the CEO, the Lord of your life, then you are not in Christ. That's where we started. Remember what Jesus said? He looked at some people, good-looking folks, just like me and just like you. And he said, you know what? I didn't know you. And they were like, but I knew you. We even told people about you. We even went to church for you. We even helped people on your behalf. And Jesus said, but you never got in. You never got in. And when God's wrath comes, you will be destroyed by it. Because God is righteous. For every debit, there is a credit. When they got in to the command module, they had to jettison the limb. In other words, that which had kept them alive, that which was everything they knew, they had to release. And that's what Christ calls you and I to. That's the part that's so hard. That's where it takes courage. That's where the faith is involved. Is you have to jettison your old life. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians. It says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Woo! But that also means the old person's gone. The old person's jettisoned. You have to jettison your old beliefs. You have to jettison your old life. You have to jettison all those things that you have relied on in the past. And now you are completely trusting God as the, as the Lord of your life, the leader of your life. For your finances, for your health, for your relationships, for your fi uh, business, all those areas. Now I am in you. In other words, if God is not who he said he was, I'm going down. Because I'm in the boat. I'm in the ship. 
And my heart hurts because I think there are so many of us on the outside of the ship watching it. Hoping that somehow because we believe that there is a ship that everything will be okay in the end. You know, the Apollo astronauts made it to the ground. Here's a newspaper article. Home free. You know the date in which they splashed down in the ocean? April the 17th. 1970. Now here's what's interesting about that date. If you go to Genesis chapter 8, it says that the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat on the seventh month, 17th day, which according to the Jewish calendar is April the 17th. So it's kind of cool. I mean, there's nothing spiritual about it. It's just kind of cool that the same day that the Apollo 13 splashed down in the ocean is the same day, April the 17th, that the ark came to rest when the water receded on Mount Ararat. It's also April the 17th is three days after the Passover, according to the Jewish calendar. Do you know what happens three days after the Passover? In the future, it would be called Easter, a Resurrection Sunday. Because this is a picture. It is a type of Christ. Now, I, they did a good job in the movie um, being pretty historical. Apollo 13. And when, when it was coming into Earth's atmosphere, there's a, a, a plasma storm, that's what they call it. They lose weight, radio contract, uh, contact. It was supposed to happen like for four or five minutes. It happened two minutes longer than it was supposed to. And so the whole world was kind of like, well, what's going to happen? Do they survive or do they not? Just an incredible amount of anticipation. Let, let, let me show you. I, I think it's a great clip. One minute and 30 seconds to end of blackout. No re-entering ship has ever taken longer than three minutes to emerge from blackout. This is the critical moment when the heat shield hold, when the command module survive the intense heat of re-entry. If it doesn't, there will only be silence. Mommy, you're squishing me. I'm sorry. Okay, flight, that's three minutes. We are standing by for acquisition. Odyssey, Houston, do you read me? Honestly, this is Houston. Do you read? Expected time of reacquisition, the time when the astronauts were expected to come out of blackout, has come and gone. But all any of us can do now is just listen and hope. We're about to learn whether or not that heat shield, which was damaged, as you remember, by the explosion three days ago, has withstood the inferno of reentry.
with the uh, Houston, do you read? I can't help but think about Hebrews chapter 11 where it says that we are surrounded here on planet earth by a heavenly crowd or a heavenly witness. And I think there's that same kind of maybe anticipation. Because you know the Bible says in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 10, he says count on it, that's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one last uh, lost soul returns to God. I, I, I think there must be, and I don't know how it works, some kind of anticipation by this um, great crowd in heaven in moments like this. Whether or not this is that moment where you don't just give a mental assent to the fact that there is a God, but you get in the ship. You jettison your old life, right? There's always that moment. You can talk to an astronaut. I think one day we'll get to talk to Noah. When is it, am I going to do this? Am I going to really believe? Am I going to jettison my old life and trust him? And I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to pray for you because it takes courage. Jesus paid the price, but the surrenderance of the skin is not easy. I'm going to pray for us. And at the end of this prayer, I'm going to invite you, whether you're up there in the balcony or here on the floor, maybe even watching on television, I'm going to invite you to come and join me here at the front. And we're not going to do anything weird or crazy. We're just going to pray. But the reason I'm asking you to move is because this duo has action to it. Stepping into the ship. Becoming a spiritual astronaut, you might say. And if God's tapping you on the shoulder, and he's saying that it's your moment to determine, to decide whether or not you're going to trust him. Just join us here at the front. At the end of this song, we'll pray together. Would you bow your head? Father, I pray that you would give us courage. I pray that the enemy would be defeated. I pray that you would be glorified. So as soon as I say amen, don't wait to see what someone else is going to do. We're not going to tarry long. If you're in the balcony, you, you wanna, do you want to move? This is your moment. This is the moment in which those of us who God's tapping on the shoulder, those of us that God's nudging our hearts to respond to that we will be accountable for. So as soon as your legs straighten, don't wait. See what someone else is going to do or how someone else is going to respond. This is your moment. This is your opportunity to go up the tunnel and get in the command module or walk up the plank and get into the ship to trust Christ as your Savior. Not just a God, but your God. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. I'm going to ask if you would to stand and respond as we worship together.